Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. Today's guest is University of Hawaii men's golf coach Scott Simpson. Most people from my generation remember Scott as a two-time NCAA champion. Also, the Fred Haskins Award winner is the nation's best collegiate golfer. We remember his storied PGA Tour career where he won seven times, including the 1987 U.S. Open at the Olympic Club over Tom Watson. That's right, Scott made his name in the game of golf as a world-class player. But today you'll hear about his new passion, which is coaching. You'll also hear about how a 67-year-old coach fuels his passion with enthusiasm. Scott and I talk about his role, the role his faith has played in both careers, first as a player and now as a coach. I think you really enjoy this. Welcome, Better Than I Found It listeners. Uh, thank you for joining me again today. And, and join me in welcoming 1987 U.S. Open champion Scott Simpson to the podcast. Scott, it's great to have you on Better Than I Found It today. Well, this is a big thrill to be here, Mike. I've listened to every one of them. I'm keeping, I'm keeping my streak going like you're keeping your streak going. Uh, you know, I read your book uh, when I first uh, became an assistant coach. It was given to me by the women's coach where I was working with uh, Stephen Bidney, who's now at Kansas. But uh, he says, Scott, you got to read this. And I'm thinking, I don't need to read some book about some coach. And uh, <laughs> I really love the book. So, so here I am on the well, podcast after listening to it for quite a while. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. You know, truly, the book was written out of therapy for me, for one. That, that That's the reason I wrote it. I also wrote it for young coaches. You weren't a young coach when you read it, but you were a new coach when you read it. And um, I just feel like the job we have is really, really important. And I expect young coaches to understand that from the start. I expect veteran coaches to re-recognize it if they didn't before. It's like what we're doing is pretty important. It's very important. So uh, I appreciate you saying that, and I'm, I'm glad the book had an impact. I can't believe you listened to all the podcasts out in Hawaii. Well, there, I, I end up walking my dogs and listening to podcasts, and, and I love them. I mean, you have everybody on that. See, a lot of these people I know, you know, we were just talking about Lindy Miller, who I've played with, and she's uh, he was good. And uh, some of these guys I kind of follow, you know, I, I don't get in touch with very often. Bill Rogers, some of some of my favorite people are on there. And, and now as, as a college coach, I, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn a lot. So uh, this podcast has really helped. Well, I appreciate that. It has been an enjoyable, enjoyable project. And I, and honestly, I've been thinking about you to be on this podcast for quite a while now. And I just hadn't gotten to you as early as I wanted to. I'm thrilled you're doing this. You're the first um, U.S. Open champion turned college golf coach that I've ever had on this podcast. You're the number one guy, first guy. <laughs> so, um, and, and thinking about that, you know, I like to take a coach back to early influences, if you will. So I'm going to start there in San Diego, California, which to me is one of the great hotbeds in the history of professional golf, college golf, amateur golf, junior golf, you name it. San Diego has produced some amazing players. Billy Casper, Gene Littler, Phil Mickelson, Craig Stadler, Mickey Wright, you, 
And that's just naming some major champions that came out of there. Tons of other really great players. So other than the incredible climate, what makes San Diego such an incredible birthplace for, for major champions and tour players? Why is it so great? You know, I think they were one of the first ones that had a really great junior golf program. And they just, uh, it was uh, Lou Smith and uh, John Brown. These two people, that, and they were older, they had a vision just to try to help junior golfers. And so we got to play almost every course in San Diego. And we had a great program. We would play one-day tournaments. They would cost $1, and you'd get a hot dog and a Coke when you finished. Oh, wow. It was so great. Yeah. I think they're a little bit more expensive now. But they still <laughs> have a really good junior golf program. So I think it was just a combination of the weather and just getting to play a lot, just getting to compete and play, and it just helps make you better, I think. Yeah. You know, I would always heard about the San Diego Junior Golf Association. Actually, um it, it, part of it, I don't know, was the one Ricky Fowler kind of got a little bit of that influence early on. And and I didn't know him at the time, but it was like he came out of that that wellspring of, of talent that and more recently than you, obviously. But um, there's just been so many good ones. It's great. I, I think it's hard to put a value on the impact you have on the kids at that age and then how it just it resonates throughout their career and their lives. Yeah, Ricky was just up the road in Murrieta. So, yeah, I'm sure he played a lot. And uh, it's just a, what, 40-minute drive down to San Diego. And they had so many good tournaments, so many good players. And, um, yeah, it's just I think it's the access and the ability to compete all the time. And it's just, you know, you just love to compete. So <laughs> I think that was probably the driving force. It, definitely. Who was the biggest influence on your career early on? I mean, was your dad, a local club pro? Who was the guy that really got you going? Well, I'll probably join most of the people on the podcast and say my dad. You know, it's, it's amazing how that, that really happens. And um, my dad was grew up in Chicago and got drafted in the Marines, sent all the way out to San Diego. He hated it. And once he was out there, uh, he never went back. So <laughs> lucky for me. And so I grew up in San Diego and he became, he started playing golf probably right around then, uh, like 20, he became a really good amateur player uh, where he won the San Diego city and he won all tournaments in Southern California. Uh, back then it was, he was borderline pro material, but being a little older with two kids that wasn't in the, in the cart. So he was a school teacher, uh, elementary school teacher. So he had all summer off. So he would play in tournaments all summer. And uh, when I was 10 and my brother was nine, we actually asked him if we could start playing golf. And so he go, okay. So he bought us a set of clubs and I got the evens. Dave got the odds. <laughs> we, were, we were golfers. And uh, he gave us one lesson to start with when we went out and played with him, uh, play fast. Because he didn't want to wait around for a couple of kids <laughs> goofing around. So um, he kind of let us play. He kind of let us learn on our own and being a school teacher, he didn't, I always felt like I always, one thing I always loved about it was I always felt like I could quit tomorrow if I wanted to mm -hmm. never any pushing. I just, he just encouraged us to play if, if we wanted to. And so I just fell in love with the game, but he loved the game and, and just a chance to get to play, played a lot with my dad. Uh, it's probably 15 or 16, 17, when I could finally start 
beating him once in a while. We had a, we had some playoffs actually for like some city amateurs in Southern California, and um, yeah, he was he was a really good player. So uh, that's where I started and just fell in love with the game. Well, the point you make of your dad, you could quit tomorrow to be okay. I think that's so underrated. But if every kid knew that his dad was there to support him, but if he didn't want to play, his dad be okay with that too. Think about how kids would enjoy the game so much more. I agree completely that, um, and I think you're only going to get good at it if you do enjoy it, if you love to play. And so I encourage parents, let the kids have some days off. Let them do some other things. You know, we're in Hawaii. If your kid wants to go to the beach, go to the beach. You know, because then you don't feel like golf is something you have to do. And then I remember remember reading about Tiger Woods growing up where his dad would even say, uh, Tiger says, I want to go play golf. Uh, Do you get your homework done? Do you get your Mm -hmm. chores done? Is your bed made? (laughs) Okay. Now you deserve, you, you've earned your right to play golf. So it's a, it's something that we should look forward to and a privilege. And uh, yeah, I always felt that way. It's, it's just something I loved to do. I couldn't wait to go play. And uh, as long as I got that yard cut and I could, I could do it. That's great. Well, I mean, thankfully your dad had that attitude. It helped you uh, probably have a lifelong love for the game. So you played college golf at Southern Cal, uh, a solid, real solid program. Stan Wood was the coach in those days. And Stan, I think he had six teams finish third in the NCAA championship. I don't think any other coach has ever had that, never won a <laughs> national championship, but he had great teams all through the years. Um, so college golf is different, obviously, now. And your experience was different than the kids are experiencing it today. But what would you say Stan Wood did as a coach that you might – you know, kind of glean a little bit of that information so it might help you be a better coach today. What were some of the things he did? You know, it was, gosh, it was so much different. Um, I, I actually don't coach anything probably like Stan would. He would say <laughs> in some ways back then, back then no coaches went on. I mean, it was so rare if you saw a coach on the golf course. Back then they would just stay inside. You know, they, they were kind of like got you there. Um, he did give me some tips once in a while. I remember uh, actually at the NCAA when I won, uh, he gave me a tip. Come on, finish your putting stroke. Make sure you keep going through there. And so he would give little tips here and there. And um, I think the other thing he did, the other thing he did that I really liked and that I probably do try to emulate is he really helped us become a team. Uh, he mm-hmm. did some things that you probably can't even do now. Um, you know, we would get a per diem to go and he would actually go out he would buy uh bread and cold cuts and beer (laughs) 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 this is this is a long time ago and uh soft drinks whatever he would we would buy all this stuff and we would have sandwiches and eat in the room and keep our per diem and we would do this almost once or twice a trip and i think it really helped us become a team where uh we just loved hanging out together. And now, I, you know, I look back on all my friends from college were the golfers. You know, I really didn't, didn't get to know anybody at school. And that, that's probably not good on my part. But, uh, but yeah, we were just a team, uh, really felt like a team and really enjoyed being together. So I think that's probably one of the best things he did as a coach. 
Well, I think that's probably the biggest challenge you have as a coach personally is getting all these individuals to come from different backgrounds and all have egos. Let's face it. Yeah. If you, if you want to be a really good college player, you've got an ego. How do you get those guys to mesh on a level? But last year, my team, we made it to nationals. We weren't a great team, but we were a very good team. Uh, but as far as team chemistry and synergy, it's one of the best teams I've coached in 36 years. So I'm hoping with all nine guys back that that's, that mm -hmm. synergy kind of moves over a summer into a, a fall where we could do that. And I guess Stan was one of those people like uh, a little bit like Dave Williams at Houston. He understood people. He wasn't necessarily teaching you a ton about golf as much as he 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 understood people. I think that's important. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. He was a big competitor with Dave Williams and obviously lost a lot. But um, yeah, he was he was uh, he actually had a real job, which was a PR guy for he worked for a lot of tournaments, actually doing their PR and doing uh, he would work in the press room of the Tournament of Champions at La Costa and did a lot of stuff like that. And um, so coaching was just something he did because he loved it. And and that's something we have in common. So uh, <laughs> but he was. Yeah, he was uh, he was one of the leaders that started the All American Committee, and the All American teams. You know, we got to go as an All American to New York and go to this big dinner and stay at the Waldorf Astoria and then play wing foot. That was a huge thrill, you know, to be on the All American team and uh, and get to meet a lot of the guys that you know we you know we played most of our golf in Southern California and most in California. Arizona so we didn't travel a whole lot back then and uh got to meet some of these great players that uh you, you'd read about actually you know from other teams and other parts of the country well nowadays obviously college golf is you're traveling the country a lot more than we did in those days but but you, you may have been sort of sequestered out there in southern california but it didn't it didn't affect your golf it didn't look like i mean you won two consecutive ncaa individual championships you were the fred haskins award winner you played in the Walker Cup team with a really good friend of mine, Lindy Miller, who was an Oklahoma State All-American. And you mentioned that Lindy was such a great player. And I'm thinking, this is the NCAA individual champion, two years running. And he had this incredible respect for Lindy. Lindy, to me, was one of the greatest collegiate players of all times. I agree. I didn't, shoot, I didn't think I was any better than Lindy at all. Um, I, I actually was able to win those two tournaments. Um and, but uh, no, Lindy was so good. He hit this. I mean, I remember every shot was like this little draw. He'd hit this little draw out there. See, uh, and I listened to the podcast with Lindy. I didn't realize he knew Hogan, uh, he Ben Hogan, like he did, and, you know, shag balls and all that stuff. Because Lindy and I are actually were both really quiet. And uh, so we probably, did, unfortunately, uh, it would have been great to get to know him better because, uh, man, he could play. And then he had an unbelievable short game. He could chip in and putt it like, like just the best in the, in golf, I thought. And, uh, and that's one thing when he turned pro, I thought the short game wasn't quite as good. I, I that's something happened. I always thought he was going to be just a fantastic player. And, uh, the nice thing is he's a fantastic person. That's a lot more important and, uh, probably a big influence on a lot of the juniors where he's worked. Yes. I mean, actually, Lindy coached high school golf for a few years. He's no longer doing it, but he coached at a private school there in Fort Worth. And uh, he called me a few times to ask some 
some advice. I thought to myself, I've got Lindy Miller on the phone talking to me about coaching and I couldn't have carried his bag when <laughs> I was a kid. He was so good. But I love talking about Lindy. What a player, but you know, uh, so you obviously had a great career. A team did well and you did great individually and you uh, ended up turning professional. You also had a great professional career and a lot of young players that are playing college today won't know that much about Scott Simpson. So I'm going to do a little bit here. You won seven times on the tour. Um, in a 10-year stretch, eight of those years, you were in the top 15 at the U.S. Open. So it's like, you were a you were a regular, and I remember this very well. The U.S. Open stretch you had there for about ten years, where you were there every year with a chance to be competitive, certainly to win. But I'm gonna talk about before we talk about the 1987 U.S. Open that you won. I was um, participating in the local qualifying in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for that event. I was a high school golf coach, but I was still playing in the U.S. Open qualifying, and I'm having breakfast with Jim Woodward who you probably knew was sort of a number six man at OSU. Well, he ended up playing in that U.S. Open at, at Olympic. I think he finished 18th. But we're having breakfast, and he looks at me, and he smiles, and he says, McGraw, you ready to play today? And I said, well, yeah, Woody, I'm ready. And he goes, so tell me, what in the world will you do if you actually do qualify for the U.S. Open? <laughs> it's like they've got, <laughs> they've got six inch rough at a U.S. Open. What are you going to do, McGraw? And I said, you know, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. <laughs> he won the qualifying that day, went out to Olympic, finished 18th. But that was a, a great I, – and I have one memory of watching it on television. You couldn't hit the 18th fairway if you'd have tried. That ball was going to the right once it hit on the on – the, you just couldn't hit the fairway. I, Talk about that week. It was 17. Se pardon me, 17. Yeah, so Talk 17, about was the, 17 was the fairway. Well, that week um, that week was interesting. So I had won earlier that year in 87. I was playing really well. I'd won at Greensboro, actually before the Masters, and I uh, almost won the players. And, uh, you know, I was just playing, playing really well. And the week before, though um, – I, I played terrible. I mean, I made the cut, but finished way back. And I was getting mad, you know, just really frustrated. Probably a lot of pressure trying to go out. And I knew Olympic Club was coming up, the U.S. Open uh, tournament. I love probably more than anything else. And um, just putting a lot of pressure on myself and, you know, probably throwing the clubs, saying a few things I shouldn't say. And uh, so we went out to Olympic Club and I saw uh, Larry Moody. I had become a Christian just a couple couple of years before that, actually. So we have a Bible study on tour every Wednesday night. And Larry Moody was uh, our leader of the Bible study. And he says, hey, Scott, how you doing? And I said, terrible. And he's like, what? I said, well, you know, I said, yeah, I'm getting so frustrated. You know, I'm not, I didn't play lousy last week. And he said, wow, well, lucky for you, our Bible study's on contentment this week. And uh, <laughs> I just started laughing and and so, uh, sure enough, we, we had the Bible study and, and you know what, it just changed my mindset. And one of the verses we went over was Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father. And so I just started thinking, you know what, I'm putting all this pressure on myself. I get to play the U S open. I needed more of your mindset and the qualifiers. <laughs> like this is such, this is great. And so instead of thinking, you know, oh, I got to play good here. So I 
I really just changed my mindset and um, where I was just thankful to be there and looking around say, this is beautiful at Olympic club. Look at these trees. And, you know, and I just, I made up my mind. I wasn't going to look at the leaderboards. I was just going to go out there and do the best I could. And whatever I did, word or deed, whatever I did was going to be good enough. You know, uh, if my ultimate goal is to please Jesus as a Christian and to do the right things, well, then that's fine. And so I just went out there and and it really helped me relax, just play my game. And sure enough, I was kind of right up near the lead, uh, you know, all the way. And then uh, the last day, uh, started birdie the first hole, which probably got me tied for the lead. I was one back at Tom Watson and um, part of the second. And then I bogeyed three holes in a three out of the last next four holes. And it was where I just missed the greens, put it up close, like six feet. And I kept missing the putts, but I knew I was, I was stroking the ball. Well, so, you know, I was just, you know, whatever, whatever happened, happened. And so I wasn't looking at leaderboards and I was just kind of playing my game. So I, made the turn and um i think i'm even par making the turn and thinking even par might actually even win the tournament and watson was one under and so i'm and then i par around and then the 14 hit it in there about six feet make it for birdie 15 played it safe with an eight iron to the middle of the green (laughs) and uh, lagged it up there from 30 feet and made it and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> and so 16, I had a nine iron of the green, hit about 15 feet and made that one. So now I've buried three in a row. And now I'm thinking, you know what? I might have a, I might be leading this U.S. Open. And, and then I did look at the leaderboards. And, and I think you should in the last few holes. And so looked at the leaderboards. I'm three under. I look over there. Tom Watson's two under. Everyone else, Seve came in third and one over. And uh, – I look back in the fairway and there's Watson with a with wedge to the green for the fairway. I'm thinking, wow, we got a lot of golf left. And uh, you're right. 17, I hit a great drive and it rolled all the way down into the first cut of the rough. And uh, like most of them did and hit it. What I thought was the the smart bunker. It's a, it was a par five converted to a par four. So I tried to run it up through this little gap out of the rough, knowing it wasn't going to stop anywhere. And, um, I pulled it probably a little and hit it in the left bunker. So I had a little more green to work with, even though it was downhill and hit bunker shot out about probably about six feet and made that one. I made three, four, one putts in a row. Mm. And, uh, and then, uh, on 18, I remember 18 getting so nervous and just thinking, you know what? I could really win the U.S. Open because for me, that was kind of like the ultimate as a kid was the U.S. Open uh, with Hogan and Nelson and all these, you know, Nicholas and it seemed like everybody, you know, that was the tournament. And uh, and I remember just uh, kind of like losing all feel, but going through by routine and just committed, committing to the shots. Same thing I try to teach the kids now and uh, ended up parring 18 and uh, Watson came in just short. Tom Watson left it. I don't know whether he misjudged the wind or something, but the 18th hole, you can't go above the pin at Olympic club where it rolls almost off the green. And so he left it about 40 feet short. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to win the U S open. And uh, I'm watching him putt and he hits this putt like Tom Watson would. And it's six feet short of the hole. It looked perfect right in the hole. And it broke just over the front edge. And, uh, Thankfully, I didn't have to play him in a playoff. 
So <laughs> <laughs> it was a big, amazing thrill. And uh, yeah, and then it, it was funny because I'd only been a Christian a couple of years and, and I never pushed my faith on anyone. And I went in there and uh, the press says, uh, so, uh, you know, you look so relaxed out there, Scott. How did you do that? You know, you're smiling and you have Tom Watson breathing down your back. <clears throat> and I said, well, you know, I then I told him about uh, our Bible study on contentment. And and then I got labeled this Jesus freak and all this stuff. And uh, <laughs> it was it was actually pretty funny because I had only been a Christian a couple of years. So, um but it was just a huge thrill to be able to win that tournament. Wow. So it's, and now I look back and see, I'm watching the U S open now and how the heck did I ever win that thing? Those guys are so good. <laughs> they really are good. aren't they? Well, but it's not like you, I, I said, you know, in a 10 year stretch, you were in the top 15. So very competitive eight of those 10 years. And in 1991, you, you lost a playoff at Hazeltine. Um, you were on the verge of winning a second one. You lost it to Payne Stewart, who in the 90s was as good at the U.S. Open as anybody could be. He was great every year. Um, but that must have been a thrill to be in a playoff for your second U.S. Open. You know, it was a thrill. Um, it was a little disappointing because I had a two-shot lead with three to go. Uh, and it was playing. I was, I was playing great. And um and I felt confident, and I was. I, my mindset was the same as when I won. And this time, though, I I hit it in the left rough on sixteen, and you know it's U.S. Open rough, and made bogey, couldn't reach the green. Eighteen hit a drive and pulled it just enough, and landed in the fairway. I bounced into the rough, had to wedge it out, so bogeyed there. And then Payne and I had this playoff, and the fun, and actually the playoff was so much fun. Payne and I went down to the driving range and Payne and I were friends. Uh, so we knew each other and obviously both trying to, trying to win. So we didn't talk much, but uh, on the, when we're playing, but you know, went down to the driving range and I'm looking around going, Hey Payne, I thought, I thought they'd have a gallery out here. You know, there's only a few hundred people watching us warm up. And he goes, yeah. And he says, you know, cause they had huge galleries in, in Minneapolis. And so we, we went up and putted and then we went to the first tee, looked down the first hole. And the holes got people all the way down the hole around the green. And I thought, wow, this is really, this is really cool. So, um, yeah, all these probably at least 20,000 people watching two guys play golf. And then uh, it was a tough day, too. The We had had a lot of rain earlier. And so the scores, I think we were eight under. One by, both of us, one by five, I think, over couples. But um, it was soft. And then by, in the playoff, all of a sudden, the wind had come up overnight and the wind was blowing and and the greens got firm. I remember the second hole hitting it right by the pin and it bounced 40 feet past the hole. And then I three putted and like, wow, this is a lot different. And uh, we went back and forth, back and forth. And I had a two shot lead with three to go again. And this time hit it right down the middle, hit it on the green. And uh, uh, unfortunately I three putt and pain makes a bomb and uh, back to even and, you know, he ends up beating me, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun actually. And, uh, pain, it was interesting. One of pain's objections to Christianity and I, I don't want to get on this high horse thing, but, uh, he always told Larry Moody he says, yeah, since, you know, I hear these guys, thank God when they win, I want to hear someone thank God when they lose. And, uh, <laughs> I was first up since I lost and, uh, and so I just thank God for the opportunity of being there and to play in the U.S. Open. What a thrill it was, you know. And obviously I, I was disappointed I wanted to win. But I uh, lost to a great champion. And, 
it was still a, a fantastic week. And so he told Larry later, he said, okay, fine. I heard Scott, <laughs> thank God when he lost. <laughs> well, the truth is. It was pretty funny, actually. Go ahead. Payne's, Payne's life changed a lot there towards the, uh, a few years before he was uh, taken way too early from us. But uh, yeah, he, yeah, his faith had grown a lot in the it last few grown. years. And it was great it to see. It, it was uh, actually I have good memories of, of things that he said in those last few years that, you know, you could tell that his life had been transformed, which was great, but it's, it's true. It's very easy to, to, uh, to go to your faith when things are great and it's harder when things are tough to be able to say, you know what, maybe I needed that. And so, but anyway, I, I, I remember you saying that in the interview. Honestly, I do. I remember that very well. I remember watching you, Back when I was I was a young coach at the time, high school coach, and I always thought that was such a good example that you gave. Um, so you you had a career for about ten more years after that, and played, and you I think you won in nineteen ninety eight your most recent victory, probably. And um, at what point did you decide to hang it up? I'm not going to play professional golf anymore. I know you won on the Champions Tour as well. Well, it wasn't until after the champions tour. Um, cause yeah, I was playing, um, I've got two kids. So, uh, the kids were growing up. So by the time I was 45 or so, um, I was kind of looking forward to the champions tour. And mm -hmm. so I would play on the tour still and, you know, it's still playing some outings and things like that. And, uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, I, I kind of looked at those years as let's spend them more with the family and play a little less. And, and, uh, yeah, I had my last win in San Diego 40, when I was 43 and that was a huge thrill to win at home. And, um, but then, uh, yeah, the champions tour took off and, and I played, I won my first year and, and played really steady, played good and really enjoyed it. I loved the champions tour. It was so much fun. Um, yeah, just playing out there with all these guys and now everything, you know, most of us had done okay. We'd made some money and, uh, there's a chance obviously to make some more money. Because we didn't play, you know, uh, my U.S. Open win was 150000 So we weren't getting rich like they were now. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Champions Tour. And then um, I think after about 10 years, though, um, yeah, we just kind of decided, I, I just kind of decided, you know, this is, I'm not going to play forever. And eventually, you know, kind of have to settle down. And so... Um, my wife had grown up in Hawaii. We had met, actually met in high school and then uh, went to USC and we've been married ever since. And um, we always knew we would live in Hawaii one day. And so we had tried it once. We had a condo over here and then, uh, you know, came over every year. And so we always just loved Hawaii. So I moved over to Hawaii and I was thought, now what am I going to do? Because <laughs> I'm not one to just sit around and I'm really going and playing with the guys every day. Doesn't sound like that much fun to me. So I started teaching and uh, found out that I loved to teach. My mom and dad were both school teachers and I just loved it. And uh, helping people with their game, no matter kind of what their ability were, was and uh, the, the kids, especially, I really enjoyed the kids and just cause they were having so much fun and I always wanted to make it fun. And, uh, so I was teaching, and I helped a girl, uh, Zoe Akagi, go from 
I t- taught her in high school. She went to New Mexico. And after two years, she decided she wanted to come home. So she asked me, says, Scott, could you call the coach and just see if they would take a transfer and, uh, and ask it, you know, I don't know what the rules are. I don't think I'm allowed to call him. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll call him. And I didn't know him from Adam. And so I called uh, Stephen Bidney and, you know, he said, oh, yeah, I know who Zoe is. And, yeah, I, I, I would be interested in looking at her, you know, coming back on the team. And I said, hey, that's great. And and I told Steve, I said, so if I can ever help you out in any way, you know, let me know. I'm thinking, you know, if anyone needs a putting lesson or, you know, some chipping things. And he said, uh, well, you want to be my assistant coach? And I thought, <laughs> what? <laughs> I wasn't thinking about that. And uh, the more I thought about it, uh, I thought, you know, this this might be really fun. And so that was about four years ago. And uh, and it was really fun. I had a great time with the girls. And, uh, yeah, just helping with their games and, you know, helping them, period. And it was just really, really fun. And getting to know with us, it's just different teaching individuals versus teaching a team where you, you're with the people, you know, the kids over and over and over again. And, uh, just really enjoyed it. And so, uh, that kind of got me started. And then, uh, one thing led to another with the men's team. <laughs> well, I mean, as I said early in the podcast, it's like, this is the first, uh, us open tour winner turned college golf coach that I've actually talked to. I mean, I was a wannabe tour player when I was young. I wanted to play the tour. I wanted to be a professional golfer, but it was early on that I realized I needed to be a coach. And you are, you're finding out you need to be a coach in your 60s. That's like really different. But there's a different mindset too. And see if I'm correct about this and you tell me, you played professional golf for a long time. There, there was a certain part of you as a, as a professional golfer, you have to be self selfish. There has to be a certain part of you that is just me, me, me. I've got to do this for me. But as a coach, it's the opposite. You have to be selfless. You have to give and serve everything you can of yourself up to your players. So tell me if I'm correct about that. And how have you reconciled that to go from all about you to now it's all about the player? I guess I've, I've always hated that word selfish and, um, and so, but but you're right in a way in that uh, as a professional golfer, you have to be doing everything you can to play your best golf. And so, in a way, everything does revolve around you, uh, making it you know becoming the best you can be. And that's why back then we didn't have the money, so I did everything myself. I mean, I did all the travel, I did all the planning and everything, but it was always about me, you know, and the family, but me. And so, yeah, I mean, even though I don't like the word, I mean, it, it, it applies to a degree. And so um, it is totally different. But as a golfer, and that's why nowadays when you hear guys say, you know, we made birdies here and we did, you know, if 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 you have the money, which they do now, I have no doubt, and you've mentioned this before, I have no doubt that Ben Hogan would have been used in track man, that Ben Hogan would have had uh, a physical therapist, uh you know, that he would be of a workout guy. He would, he would do everything he could to maximize his ability to play his best. And that's what you have to do. And that's why these guys have their team nowadays. You know, the team is just to help them play their best. And so 
Um, yeah, it is, it is totally different. And, and I think that's one of the reasons, one of the things I loved about your book and what you've talked about is the 15th club, the enthusiasm. And so even though I'm an old guy, I am so enthusiastic about helping these guys. And so it is totally different though. My first year as the head coach of the men's team and, and, and I took over our team. We were, I mean, truthfully, we were terrible. I mean, we're 245th in the country, I think. Mm. And so the one good thing is I can't really go anywhere. You know, <laughs> I can't go anywhere, but hopefully up a little bit. And so we gradually got better and we're, we're better now, but um, not, you know, kind of in the middle of the pack, but we're, um, but I'm very enthusiastic. And so in some ways I'm an old guy, but I feel like a young coach and I am, and I, I am very, I've always enjoyed learning. I've always enjoyed asking questions, the Socratic method, I guess, and uh, just trying to learn more. And, uh, and so I've had a lot to learn as far as coaching. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Uh, my first year, I had a friend who's uh, like a sports psychologist, Chris McLaughlin, Parker McLaughlin, who's now the short game chef on tour, uh, his dad. And his dad was an AD over here at Punahou, you know, which is the school in Hawaii where Obama went, Michelle Wee and where Parker went. And uh, he's, he helps out with the in sports psychology. And so one of the things after the first year, he says, you have to ask your kids and yourself, what can you do better? So, well, I don't know if I want them to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> and what can they do better? And so uh, most of everything I got the first year was coach, you got to be more organized. And, and I was thinking about it, and, and that, that's exactly what I thought, too. Because uh, I didn't know what I was doing and um, didn't have a whole lot of help. I don't have an assistant coach or anything. So um, I, I just got, uh, got more organized, and, and it is. It's more thinking about everyone else and thinking about how to, you know, get everybody organized and things like that. And, and um that that's been a big change and so yeah i really enjoyed it though you know like the coaching part is the fun part getting out with the kids and helping them in any way you can but um yeah getting organized as far as all the travel everything everything else the little things you got to do that's that's been a change but the coaching has been really fun and 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 i think i do have a real enthusiasm for it because it keeps me in the game um, I love being around these, you know, 18 to 20, 22 year old guys. And uh, there are a lot of changes going on in their lives and just any way I can help them. And that's why I tell them any way I can help you. Um, that's my job. I'm, I'm to help you become the best person and the best golfer that you can be. And so I approach it that way. And, uh, and maybe my mom and dad being teachers influence a lot of that too, because uh, it's something I've always thought about and, and I'm, I'm thrilled that I have this opportunity, actually. It's really fun. Well, and, and you picked up on something that I've, I sort of preach, that I think enthusiasm is a 15th club in a bag. Um, I'm 63, so I'm only four years younger than you. We're basically from the same generation. But that is just a number. I mean, we both have white hair. I get it. I understand that. But the fact is, if you love what you're doing, you can't help but be pretty good at it, I would think. And so I love the fact that, you know, and I agree with you, too, about another thing you said, selfish. I hate the word. I hated using the word, but it, 
it's it kind of has to everything needs to point to me if I want to be a great player. And right now, if I want to have these kids get better, I need to start pointing things their direction. So it's like pretty much. Um, so I guess the the reason I guess the reason I hate the word is because you can look at someone uh, someone who's playing great golf right now, like a Ricky Fowler. And the way he gives to other people, the way he cares about other people, you would uh, you would never call him selfish. And I remember Peter Jacobs and I and I thought thinking, you know, when the money started going up in the Tiger era, uh, thinking, you know, these guys are going to be so these guys are going to be selfish because it's all about them. They're going to think everything, take everything for granted. You know, they're making millions. And you know what? It hasn't happened. We have some great guys that are playing golf. You know, you think of. Scotty Scheffler and Jordan Spieth and Ricky and you go right down the list, Andrew Shopley, and these guys just seem like really good guys and good people. And so uh, a lot of that I credit to the game. The game of golf, you it's almost hard to get too cocky and too full of yourself. And so even though they do have to have everything around, you know, pointing toward themselves, I guess that's why I don't like selfish because um, because they also give a lot. And they give a lot in, in other areas. So that's why, yeah, I understand the word, but in some ways like, yeah, but they're really giving people and they're good people. And to me, someone's too selfish. I don't, you don't, you don't normally think of them as like, ah, yeah, I want to be like him. But All right, uh, so that, I think next, that's what's so cool about golf. The next time I ask that question, I'll ask it slightly differently. <laughs> I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll use a different term. It's a matter of semantics, but truly you are giving of yourself as a coach. You just have to. It's got to be you giving all the time. Um, and then you get a lot in return. You really do. So you, you're a new coach. You're only four or five years into this. Uh, what's the biggest surprise you've had in coaching? I mean, something you literally did not expect out of coaching. Uh, the paperwork, maybe. <laughs> the <laughs> Wow. Dealing with compliance and ordering clothes and uh, keeping inventory and uh, doing all the travel and figuring out what tournaments you're going to play. And, and in Hawaii, so we host three tournaments. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's another one that UH Hilo hosts on, in Hawaii. And uh, one of the big advantages for the teams is they get to come over and they get three free days that don't count against our 24 days of competition. So it's a you know, it's an expensive trip, but it's a nice trip for the schools to come. And so we have, jeez, uh, I've got a waiting list for pretty, basically every tournament uh, that we host. And so that's been good. And unfortunately, I have really great courses that do everything for me and really help make those tournaments special and great. And uh, because all the teams seem to want to come back year after year. And um, so there's there's just a lot of things to do. But um, I'm fortunate. I, I look at it, too, as fortunate, actually, that my kids have grown up and I have time to, uh, like I've heard you do, I try to answer almost every kid that writes me. Um, my feeling has always been if this kid, and I know some of these letters are uh, going out to 100 schools and they just change the name Hawaii from Baylor, <laughs> you know, to Oklahoma, whatever they're going to do. But um but I also think the kid took the time to write and uh, I like to at least send a response back. And uh, a lot of times it's our, our team's full, but uh, you know, things like that. But I, I like to try to do that. So uh, I, I keep, like my wife said, it's good. I keep really busy, but uh, 
and the organization part of just organizing everything. That's been the biggest change. Uh, being with the say, kids and the teaching part's been the easy part, probably. But uh, say, that's different. You know, I've been without Mikel Andreessen for a little over a month. And I, I I wouldn't want to do what you're doing right now because it's it's intense all that an assistant coach takes off your plate. Uh, I hope you get to coach with an assistant coach at some point in your career because you're going to yeah. go, oh, wow, that's nice. And coaching, that's the part I wanted to point out right now is, yes, they've added all these layers of things we have to do that don't necessarily provide value. Um, but the true part of coaching hasn't changed. It's gotten better, I think, because, I mean, I think we know more now than we used to. But, I mean, a kid wants to be coached, and that's no different than when you were in college. So that hasn't changed. No, it hasn't. And, uh, no, I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, my coaching style probably, you, you know, you, uh, I, I hear you with coaches on here, you know, oh, he's an old, old school coach or uh, kind of a newer coach or um, – Obviously, I'm, I'm an old school guy. <laughs> I grew up uh, with Ben Hogan as uh, Byron Nelson as kind of some of my heroes. And uh, but at the same time, um, I tell kids and parents, I said, I will never yell at the kid. And just because that I know what it's like to make mistakes, I know it's like to mess up. And you've talked about that as far as playing with the kids. And I, I haven't played with the kids. My knees kind of went bad. And I swing like an old man now, so it's kind of hard. And I am an old man, so I should swing like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, – and so when they make mistakes, when they mess up, um, you know, hit it out of bounds, and they, I know they're not trying to do it, but what I try to do when they see stuff is um, I'll say, yeah, you know, Coach, I really messed up. I hit a seven iron out of bounds, made triple bogey. Okay. Well, what are we going to learn from that? You know, where should you, where were you aiming that seven iron? What happened? Was it the swank? Was it a mistaken judgment? And, uh, and so I want the kids to learn. I want them to learn and think about, and, and I tell them too, I said, I'm really not going to tell you what shot to hit. Um, maybe once in a while I, I might step in, but, uh, but overall I'm going to let them hit the shot they want to hit. Um, it's just that I want them to think about it. So if they're hitting a three wood and going for a par five, uh, I want them to think about, okay, what what's going to happen if you miss it, you know, and where are you going to be? Or or would you be better laying up? You've been working on your wedges. Or do you have a great chance for Eagle? Um, I just want them to think. And so, and I, and I really want them to have fun. I had such, so much fun four years in college. And, and you can, as you talk to all the pros, I mean, what do they, they have such fond memories of college golf and being on the team. And I think that's part of why even now you hear guys like uh, Ricky Fowler, who's made, uh, I don't know how many millions of dollars he's made. And what does he want to do? He wants to play good this year. So he makes the Ryder cup. You don't get any money for the Ryder cup, <laughs> but the thrill of, and, and, and you get to represent your country, which is a huge deal, but almost a bigger deal is representing your team and getting to know the guys that you compete against and being coming together as that team. And so for an individual sport, uh, being on the team is a big deal and it's fun. It's fun to root for the other guys. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enthusiastic. I want them to be encouraged. Uh, I think most golfers, we tend to get down on ourselves too easily. And so I'm always trying to build them back up if anything. And, uh, 
And if I ever did have a cocky kid, believe me, I, I'd put him in his uh, place pretty easy. Although usually the game does it for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Is there ever a game been invented by man that will humble you quicker than the game of golf? I just don't know what it would be. Yep. Yeah, but it's a lot so, of fun. Yeah, so every world-class player, and you were a world-class player at one point, <laughs> every world-class player is not going to be a great golf coach. So we could say, okay, yeah, Tiger – I want you to come to Baylor and be the golf coach at Baylor. You'll follow me and you'll be great. And Tiger has no interest in being the coach at Baylor. So one thing you have to have an interest in wanting to do it and the enthusiasm you talk about. But what's another good quality or attribute Scott Simpson has that's going to make him a great coach? Hopefully you get to do this another 10 or more years. Well, what's a quality you have you think will get you there? Yeah, I'd like to do it as long as I can, uh, as long as I feel like I'm helping the kids. Uh, and as long as I yeah, feel healthy and everything, and I do. Um, I think you've touched on it before that you just have, it has to be about them. Um, and that it, and like you say, that's a big transition for a guy who's played golf for a long time and it's been about me. So um, for some reason, I, I feel like I can make that transition. And so far the kids have seemed to enjoy it. Uh, haven't had any transfers yet in our, in this era of the transfer portal. So I guess they're liking it pretty good. And uh, yeah, I guess just trying to make it all about them, I think is exactly what you said. And, and I think that's right. And the enthusiasm part, I think can't be overemphasized. Um, I really want them to have fun and enjoy it and, and while they're getting better um, at golf and hopefully growing up as young men, um, I want them to have a great time playing. And so part of the challenge, too, is, you know, with 10 guys on the team, most of the time only five guys are going to play. And so uh, one thing I'm always looking for in your podcast is nuggets about qualifying because I want to make qualifying really fair. And I, my tendency is to be uh, – like Chris Act to just take the top five qualifiers. And I hear guys say, well, you got to take who you think is the best team. Man, I struggle with that. And I always think if someone, if someone qualifies, if they've earned their spot, then they deserve to go. And so, but I understand also that sometimes guys can't make it to every qualifying round. So I do reserve some coaches picks also, you know, where, I'll pick two. And, and if you played well in the tournament before a top 10, you're definitely going to go to the next tournament, things like that. But uh, overall, I, I kind of like guys to compete and qualify. And I'm not a big fan of um, exempting guys into tournaments because I think that can take away a little of the motivation uh, to try to get better out in some ways. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to learn all those things, <laughs> how, how to do qualifying the best way. And I don't think there's any magic pill on that one. But uh, overall, I think it's just doing everything you can to maximize the kid's experience. And so for some reason, and, and I, I have to credit my, probably my mom and dad as teachers um, who always have to think about the kids and trying to do everything they can to help the kids learn and, and figure out ways to help different kids learn. And um, I've just always enjoyed that. And, and the other thing about being in Hawaii, I, my wife and I love Hawaii. So we are not moving. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I was at the LA open uh, or not the LA open. I was at LA country club where we used to play every Friday 
at USC for the U S open, which was really cool. And, and, um, uh, the USC job has opened up and I joked with my wife, Hey, Hey, I can apply for the USC job. <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, right. We're going to live in LA. And, uh, that isn't going to happen. So I even told when I interviewed for the job, which was a different experience since I've never interviewed for a job before. Yeah. Uh, I said, I got no bargaining power because I'm not leaving Hawaii and I'm not looking for another job. So, you know, <laughs> kind of take it or leave it, which is fine. And uh, it's, but I've really, really enjoyed it. So I, I, I hope like you, I can coach uh, as long as I can. And um, Stephen Bindi used to always tell me, he says, well, you know, my coach at the Northern Colorado came from Stanford and it was, um, oh, now I'm trying to play. Uh, Wally Goodwin, Wally Goodwin. Wally Goodwin, good coach. He said he was 81 and he was great. So I said, oh, okay, well, that gives me, let me see. So that's 14 years. I don't know if I'll make 14 years, but uh, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> well, I, I just want people who, I mean, first of all, you and I have never met, but we've talked a bunch through email and I'm really excited to come to your tournament this fall uh, and can't wait to shake your hand and just, you know, I, it's, kind of neat for me i'm a golf historian so to meet a, a historical figure in the game of golf who's now a colleague of mine is great looking forward to the trip over there and my guys are really looking forward to it um that they, they're trying trying to wonder why i've been holding hawaii back all these years i've been at baylor we haven't gone <laughs> so yeah i know how come but you know, um, yeah we, it's gonna be i think it's gonna be a lot of fun <clears throat> and uh yeah, it's always it's just, it's a great time to be in Hawaii. Yeah, you you're, you're going to have a great time. I'm looking forward to it. Uh tell me about your current team. I don't know anything about your players. Just if you can run down the list of your players the best you can. Well, one of the great things uh, about being here is um and, and you know, and it probably does speak to my record and stuff as a player and <clears throat> some of these kids I actually had given lessons to when they were younger, but we're keeping the top players in Hawaii. Um, in the past, I mean, you grow up in Hawaii. In some ways, I would, I never, I never mind a kid who says I want to go to the mainland because it's just different. You know, Hawaii is just different. And um, when you grow up here, I don't think it's a bad to go to the mainland and see what see what the rest of the country is like. So uh, some of the kids go, but we're keeping the top guys. Um, yeah, Dane Watanabe and uh, Anson Cabello are coming in. And I got a kid from um, Boise, Idaho, Zach Carter, coming in. And he's one I saw at the uh, Senior Showcase, actually. that I went to the College Golf um, <clears throat> Coaches Convention for the first time, went out there. And I had corresponded with this kid. But um, I just really – so th I've kind of decided these are kind of the kids that I'm going to get in Hawaii. I think the top – top juniors um they're going to go to the programs with a golf course that's near on campus um you know with a tra with a great traditions and and i don't i i don't think i'm going to get many of those top 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 golfers and so what i'm looking for is guys who have a good swing but maybe they haven't peaked yet and and what i'm really looking for is good students like all coaches <clears throat> and also kids that love to play because I think those are the kids that are going to get better. And I think sometimes when you get these kids that have played, and I, I know you've talked about playing other sports, but if, when you played um, just golf, and uh, it doesn't apply to everyone because, I mean, 
I think I mostly just played golf. I did everything else just as fun. But uh, when you just play golf, sometimes you can burn out, you know, at a certain age in high school or college. And, you know, geez, you know, this is like too much like work. And I want kids to just love to play, love to compete. And maybe they're not the best players yet. And so, um, yeah, I want kids that want to get better and, and they're going to have fun doing it. And so, yeah, we've kept a lot of guys. We have uh, Anson, uh, we've got Tyler Ogawa, who's <laughs> such a cool kid. Um, and then we have uh, Blaze Akana, who uh, switched over from uh, Sacramento State. He went there for a couple of years and decided he wanted to come home. Um, he had a great time at Sacramento State. And actually, he's helped me with some of the things he learned there. And, uh, yeah, we just have we just have a really good team. James Whitworth from San Diego and – um, and it's, everyone gets along well, and that's what that was really fun. I had a team last year, kind of like you did, I think, that they they really enjoyed being together. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this year too. Well, I uh, I want to say for one, thank you for showing up on my podcast today and appearing, especially <laughs> since you're a loyal listener. And number two, thank you for having me at your tournament this fall. Look forward to that. I'll see you in about maybe four months or three or four months. And um, gosh, Scott, thanks so much for joining me on Better Than I Found It today. It's been great. Well, it's been a <clears throat> been a thrill to be on. And uh, after listening for all these, it's been, what, a couple of years now? I think three it's years been... right now. In August, it'll be three years. But now you have to listen to yourself while you're walking I know. Your dogs. This, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. But <laughs> right. uh, no, it's, I'm really looking forward to meeting you, Mike. And I feel like in some ways I know you already. So, <laughs> but it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to, to get to see you. And uh, I'm going to do everything I can to have your Baylor Bears have a fantastic time in Hawaii. Well, they will have so. a good time. And I'll be sure that uh, I tell Brad Payne to listen on Monday. He needs to listen to you. Uh, just so he can see that <laughs> you're still preaching. It's awesome. Yeah, well, College Golf Fellowship has been uh, – I remember when they started with Brad, Brad basically starting it and uh, how it's grown and Steve Burdick's out here in the West and so many guys are hiring new guys all the time. And uh, what a, it's just a fantastic organization because uh, um, they just impact college kids' lives and they do it in such a non-threatening, non-pushing way. You know, I've always thought that even as a Christian, I'm not I'm not here to push anything. It's a personal decision everyone makes. But but to share my faith, if, if it's really true, you know, it's kind of like if, if I knew the cure for cancer, I'd want to share that. I'd want I'd want to help people. So in the same way, because I think my faith is true. Um, and, and that was a whole journey for me. It's three years of trying to prove it wrong and eventually becoming convinced it was true that uh yeah, it's just something I enjoy sharing at, at times. But uh, yeah, Brad, Brad's a fantastic person. He really is. Well, thanks again so much. And we will uh, we'll talk to you again this fall. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right.